Our scripture reading tonight will be 1 Corinthians 1, 23-25. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-25. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-25. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. About a year ago, people were starting to get prosecuted. They were starting to be prosecuted. Owners of gas stations in the area, you may have remembered, and you may have then you might have heard the phrase price gouging. Because there is a mentality sometimes in, in catastrophe where people look around and they see opportunities because instead of seeing despair and instead of seeing destruction, they're, they're thinking, what is in this for me? What's in this for me? That's a mentality. That's an attitude of a lot of people. What's in it for me? But you carry that over to Christianity and that's a terrible attitude to have. Yes, I come to service it. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? Yes, I'm a Christian because of what's in it for me. That's my motivation. That's a wrong attitude. It's a terrible attitude to have as a Christian. But we can be excited about things that we get to have because of our Christianity. We can look forward to God giving us things that we obviously don't deserve, but he's so gracious and merciful that he showers blessings upon us. We are his children, and the 149th Psalm, verse 4 says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He likes us. He takes pleasure in his people. And that's an exciting thing. That's a thing to celebrate. We can't expect him to give us and to do to give us things and to do stuff for us but we know that he does what exactly has god done and what does he do for his people that's what we're going to be talking about tonight for a few moments first of all he's chosen his people if you would go over to second thessalonians chapter 2 we're going to read out of there second thessalonians chapter 2 my senior year, Springfield, Colorado, we, we moved there we, in the summertime. It was time to start school, and, and it's a small school. I had about 30 people in my graduating class, and they had a band, and they had choir, and I, I, I was all into music, and so I went, and, and I took the choir class, and I got to play the piano for them, and I, and I got to play the guitar for them. And then they had this election because there was a music club. And these people didn't know me very well, but they nominated and chose me to be the president of the music club. I'd never been in a music club, and I've never been to a music club meeting. I had no idea what that meant, and I don't know why they chose me. And so we went along throughout the school year. And I never gave it another thought. At that day that they nominated and voted for me to be the president, I didn't give it another thought until the band teacher came to me one day close to the end of the school year, and he just asked, so are we, um, we going to have, ever have a meeting? I, I didn't even think of it. We had no meeting. I, I, I got to be in the yearbook, 
but I shouldn't have been chosen. I didn't know why I was chosen. I shouldn't have been chosen. You think about being chosen by God, yet we, we shouldn't be chosen. We're filthy, nasty beings, and, and we have sinned, and we're covered in sin, and we've let God down over and over again. We should not be chosen. And he chooses us anyway. He's chosen us anyway. First, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which you were called, to which he called you by our gospel. First Peter 2, 9 says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There is a purpose to our calling. I mean, to, to him choosing us. We are a chosen generation. Why? We, he chose us to be saved. He chose us to have salvation. He chose us to be able to go to heaven and spend eternity with them. He chose us. He has chosen his people for salvation. He's also called his people. Called his people. We're going to look at a few scriptures. 1 Peter 5, if you would turn there. 1 Peter 5. The teenagers and a few adults this summer were able to go to Colorado, to, to Walsenburg, Colorado, to do VBS. And that's a long trip there and a long trip back. And while we're there, a lot of things are happening. But some of you experienced this. I know Nolan did. Over and over again, I did this to them. I let them walk away from me, and then I say, wait, 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 Nolan, come back here. I have a question. I have a question to ask. And so he comes all the way back, and I, it wasn't just Nolan. It was other people, too. I'm sure they loved it. And they get, came all the way back, and I would say, I have a question. Yes, what is it? How far away would you be if I hadn't called you back? They loved it. I think they loved it a lot. I did. I tried to get the, the Brandon Martin. He went with us, and the other day he was walking away. And I said, "Brandon, come here." He said, "I'd be over here, Troy. I'd be over here." Yes, he got it. That's not a good reason to to, to ask someone something. We. That's not a good question. It's 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 kind of a dumb reason. But when God calls us, it's for a good reason. Here in First Peter five ten, I'm gonna I'm just gonna cite Romans eight twenty eight. You've heard it, you love it. We know that all good things work together for to good to, to those who love the Lord. But listen to those who are called are called according to His purpose. There's a reason for us being called. And now you're in First Peter five, and you look at verse ten, and it reads, "May the God of all grace, who called us where to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus." He's called us. He's chosen us to be saved. He's chosen us to go to heaven. He's called us to salvation. Called us to eternal glory. To spend eternity with him. But why? Because he likes us. He loves us. We're not good people, but he, he, he loves his children. No matter what, he loves us. And so he's chosen us and he's called us. He's also, he, he also cleanses us. He cleanses his people. We're going to look at a few verses in 1 Corinthians 6 in just a few moments. 
1 Corinthians 6. The, uh, the dog situation that I had growing up, I had this dog for years and years and years from the time I was in second grade in the, until my senior year in high school. When he fin- they had finally had to put him down. But I love this dog. This dog went everywhere with me. As much as I can take him with me, he went everywhere. And I remember taking him on vacation to go see my grandmother from Port Isabel, Texas to Colorado. And, and, and he's with me. And we get to her house. And I'm so proud of this dog. My grandma's going to meet my dog. And he's an inside dog. He just he, he sleeps in, with me. And and does he sits with me uh, down at my feet during supper, and he is my dog. And so we get there, and she looks at him and gets close to him and says, that dog can't come into my house until you get that stink off of him. You've got to wash that dog. If you want the dog inside my house, you have to. And it was, I couldn't smell how bad he was smelling until, until I washed him. And then I realized how nasty, nasty he he was. But you think about God cleansing his people. We are nasty. We're filthy. We're covered in sin. And we have lived these lives that that we're just dirty, smelly people. But he offers us cleansing. He offers us cleansing. Why? So we can come in. So we can come in. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. You, you see as you glance through, and, and Paul's talking about um, the unrighteous, not inheriting the kingdom of God. And he says, do not be, see, be deceived in nine fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, ten thieves, covetous, and co- the covetous, uh, the drunkards, the revilers, nor extortioners. They, they won't in, inherit the kingdom of heaven. But then he says in 11, something incredible. Such were some of you. You were what? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were made holy. You were called out. You were set aside. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and the spirit of our God. We were washed. Yes, we were filthy. Yes, we did all that stuff. But now we're changed. We've been clean. Because God cleanses his people. We can celebrate that. 1 John 1, 7 lets us know that we need to be walking in the light as he is in the light. But we, we, it, it goes on to say the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin, cleanses us from some sin. 1 John 1, 7 says his blood cleanses us, notice this word, from all. All sin, not just some, doesn't, there are times, and if you have raised a boy, even if you've raised a girl as a parent, maybe you've experienced this yourself when you were growing up, there have been times when we've told the kids at various ages, stages, go take a bath. Go in the bathroom, close the door, take a bath. What do you hear? Water running. What do you think? And you hear splashing. And then they come out and they still stink. And they're dry as a bone. And their hands might be clean because they were splashing in the water. 
But they only cleaned a part of themselves. But when we get cleansed from God, all of us, all sin. First John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to the 51st Psalm. I'm going to read two verses from the 51st Psalm. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Part of a prayer. 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow because only God can get us that clean. And we celebrate that because God's good to his people and he loves his people. We, we, he cleans us to get rid of the filth of sin so we can come in to the kingdom, so we can get in to heaven. This next one, it's not my favorite <laughs> because he chastens his people. You say chastise, you say discipline. It's not my favorite because who likes to get chastised or chastened or disciplined? Who likes that? And if you do, What's wrong with you? But God loves. Go over to Hebrews 12. Go over to Hebrews 12 for a second. God loves his people enough to chastise or chasten or discipline. When the boys were little, when the boys were really young, and, and they were used, they, they understood. If they broke a rule, what's, what do you get? You get discipline, chastised. You get, you get a rod. Um, and, and they did. And then we would spank them, or at least I would spank them, and then hug on them and pray with them and make sure they understood. But I remember a few times, just to, just to mess with them, I would tell them, and I guess it's a lie, I don't know, but your mom and I have decided that we, we will not spank you anymore. We're not going to spank you anymore. And Chandler's reaction, he, he would start crying. No, why? Because we'll be spoiled because you love us and that's why you spank us. Yes, that's what we want to hear. Hebrews 12, 4 and 6. You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he chastens listen in six, and scourges every son whom he receives. Does that sound enjoyable? No, but sometimes we've got to have the sin knocked out of us because we're, we're guilty of it and we need to be disciplined. That Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, and I mentioned it this morning. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction for whom the Lord loves. He corrects Proverbs 31, 3, 12, just as a father, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. The father disciplines a son in whom he delights. God likes us, and we, we express this to our children when we discipline them. You understand that I'm doing this because I love you. It's hard to understand something like that when you're a child and you're getting ready to get the rod used on you. It's hard to understand and believe at that moment that, you're, that this is happening out of love, but it's happening because we delight in our children. And God disciplines us out of love so that he can delight because he delights in us. He loves us too much to not correct us. Next thing, God comforts his people. We're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in just, a, in just a moment. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1. I was getting ready for the lesson and I, and I started looking for statistics on, on affectionate fathers with their children and, and, and why it's so difficult at a certain age. Do you know that they, they've done a study and they've figured out that over, for the most part, a father and his children, a father will be affectionate to his children and they'll be all snuggly and huggy until about the age... 10, around 10 for the average. It's, it's the age 10. And, and then what happens? Well, it goes from snuggling because then boys get a little uncomfortable and it's an uncomfortable. For, it goes from snuggling to, you know, pats and hugs. And then as a boy gets older, handshakes and, and fist bumps and things like that. But it doesn't have to be like that. You can be a comforting dad. When I was a youth minister in Medill, Oklahoma, we were getting ready to go on an area, to an area wide, and I had the van, and I had the, the teens in the van, and we were getting ready to leave. One of our deacons comes flying up to the side in, in his car. He came flying up to, to the van on the side. He jumped out. He opened the door, grabbed his son. This is, is a high school junior, and he's a football player, and he's taller than his dad, and he grabs his son, and he and he gives him a hug, and the son gives him a hug back. He gives him a kiss, and he says, I love you. And the boy says, I love you too. And, I just, and his dad says, I just wanted to make sure to say goodbye to you and tell you that I love you. A nurturing dad, it doesn't have to stop at 10. An affectionate dad doesn't. And everyone, no one laughed at it. And the boy wasn't embarrassed. No one laughed at him because they'd get beat up if they did. But... Everyone on the van knew how much that father loved that son and vice versa. It wasn't a question because that's a nurturing father. But you think about a God who nurtures us and he, we have him. We have him. Second Corinthians 1, look at 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Now, the God of what? All comfort who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort by, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The God who comforts all of our, who takes care of all of our needs as far as nurturing and comfort and affection is concerned. Oh, we need that in our lives. We need people that can, that can take us and hug our necks and love on us and cry with us. And we know how to do that. How do we know how? Because... We have a father who comforts us like crazy because he's crazy about us. He's crazy about us. He, he, he wants to love us into heaven. And he loves us enough to give us Jesus that we can get to him uh, through Jesus. And that's so comforting if you think about the, the fact that we're in this world. And it's a difficult world to be in. But we can be comforted by the fact that God loved us enough to give us Jesus so we can go to heaven with him for eternity. So he comforts his people, and finally, he will crown his people. He will crown his people. I used to love checkers. I haven't played checkers for so long. Uh, and maybe Remy and I, maybe we, have you ever played checkers? 
yeah, well, I haven't played with you. So we're, we're going to have to learn, relearn to play checkers. But one of my favorite things, the goal, what's the goal? To get across the board. Why? Because once you get what? Crowned, you have access to all of the board, and you can go and take out your opponent like crazy. And the more times that you get across the board, you get your crown, that means that you have made it. You have been successful. James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. When he has been approved, in other words, think about this, when will he be crowned? When will he have this crown of glory? When he makes it to the other side, and he'll receive his crown when he's approved. We have a God that's waiting and wanting and, 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 and just loving us like crazy, wanting us to get to the other side. So as we wrap this up, I want us to think about this. I want us to remember this. Our God in our filth chose us. Our God even... Even though he knew how we are and who we are, he called us. And he was willing to cleanse us so we can come in. And we might need to be chastened from time to time, and we've got to accept that and love God for it because he loves us enough to do that. But he will comfort us. And in the end, when we've made it to the other side, we will be crowned. We need to remember that. We will be victoriously crowned. A lot of times a Sunday sermon, at least as far as in my mind, in my way of thinking, is geared toward the faithful. You people who have decided, yeah, I'm coming back tonight. And so as a Christian, are you living like that? Do you understand you've been chosen and called and cleansed and chastised sometimes and comforted so that you can receive your crown? Do you understand that? Are you living like that? And if you're not, why? And if you aren't, change. Repent. We talked about that this morning. But if you're not a Christian, if you are not a Christian, God is calling you. He wants you to be into Christ. He wants to, he, he has chosen us, this generation, but he wants to cleanse you. And you can do that. If, you're, if you understand you're a sinner, we talked about repentance, turning your mind around, turning your, from your ways and moving in a different direction spiritually. You're ready to do that and then confess Christ and then put him on in baptism so that you can be cleansed. Let us know about that. But we're going to offer the invitation, and we want to encourage anyone, anywhere, to respond in any way that you feel like you need to as we stand and as we sing.